Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about what can cost you your marriage, what are leading causes of divorce, and how you can prevent your marriage from falling apart, whether you're single and waiting for marriage, dating, engaged, or currently married. Enjoy the message. What could cost you your marriage? Now, that is a pretty big topic. I'm sure there's a hundred different things that we could talk about that could cost you your marriage, but we're going to reduce it down to two things this morning. Two things that will cost you your marriage. Number one is no vision for your future, right? No vision for a healthy future. And number two is no boundaries. Now, I thought being in weddings was cool when I got asked to be in my first first wedding to, to step, you know, to stand as a groomsman, right? In fact, it started my first... The first, I got asked to be a groomsman, I got asked to be an usher, then a groomsman seven other times, best man two other times. I got asked to be the uh, DJ, the MC, but never the wedding singer. That's a good thing, all right? And so, but by the time I was like the, the, the wedding DJ, is like, when am I gonna get married? Like, it wasn't cool anymore, right? And so there's a movie called 27 Dresses, and I suppose if there was a male version of that, it'd be 27 Tuxedos starring me, all right? So that, that would be me, right? But Anyway, I digress. The first time that I was asked to be in a wedding, I was 18 years old, and I was pretty flattered when my coworker asked me if I would be in his wedding. Confused, and, but flattered. I was confused because why was he asking me, but also the person that he was thinking of marrying, he always was talking bad about. Um, first off, he, he, he just didn't know if he wanted to be an insta-dad because the person he was dating had a child from a different relationship, and so he's like, I don't want to become a dad. Uh, he he, he Felt like he was compromising. He didn't want to move in before marriage. And, and he also had a massive anger problem, an anger problem he didn't want to deal with. And so you, you add all these things up, and you're thinking, man, marriage could be a disaster for, these, for this couple. So what's he do? He moves in with the girl, starts calling himself dad, and sets a wedding date. And asks me to stand in his wedding. And of course, I'm flattered, so I don't think of any of those, th- any of those things. And I say, yeah, sure, I'll stand in your wedding. Well, he came into... He came into the, by the way, can I say this? If you don't agree with a, a marriage that you're standing in, you're standing there because you're standing because you're backing that person up. All right, don't stand in that wedding. That's my opinion. You can differ on that. But I'm just saying I, I wouldn't have done it going back. And here's why. Uh, he showed up to work one day with his um, new child. And uh, the little boy had a big bruise on his cheek. And I said, well, what happened to him? And he said, oh, he fell off the toilet. And I said, well, what did he hit? Because it was like a streak on his cheek. I'm like, man, that's, that's weird. And I thought in the back of my head, that's weird. The next day, he didn't show up to work. He was in jail. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know why he was in jail, but I'm like, man, why is he in jail? Is there still going to be a wedding? I mean, what did he do? I turned on inadvertently the 6 o'clock news that night. I don't know why I was watching the news, but I turned on the 6 o'clock news, and the beginning of the news was my coworker in jail for slapping the child so hard it was leaving streaks of bruises across the face. And I found out from the beginning of the six o'clock news, the fiance looks in the camera and says, this wedding is over. Now I felt weird because I'm like, wow, I'm learning from the six o'clock news. I'm no longer a groomsman, but I feel really bad for everybody that's involved in the situation, specifically the child. And so here's the deal. The reason why they ended up in this situation, and do you think for a moment that the groomsmen and the bride-to-be were gonna think that they're gonna be in that six o'clock news calling off their wedding? Do you think they ever thought that'd be a reality? No. But the reason why is they were so focused on what their ideal future was, they weren't taking care of the things in the present. And this morning, I don't know if we'll ever end up anything extreme like that. I hope not. But the reality is, if we are not tending to what God is placing into our life in the present, we will never reach that ideal future. We'll never reach that ideal future. In fact, I want you to think of this. This is the main point for the rest of the day as we navigate 
I want you to think of this. To live a better future, you must take care of your present. Don't forget this. To live a better future, you must take care of your present. Now, I'm a, I'm a visionary guy. I love talking about the future, but I realize that that future will never come to be if you're not willing to do the hard stuff in the present. So your future is important, but to get to the desired future, you must manage what God has placed in your life. We have a finish line. We can get consumed with our present, give up, and never get to that finish line or ideal finish. So this is important to understand. For many, we have an ideal. We have an ideal where our life, our marriage, our relationships, and when we should get married, we all have that ideal. And we get mad because the ideal seems out of reach. We just can't quite reach it. Some of us are like that. We're trying to get our ideal, but we can't get to it. And what happens when we can't get to it is we begin to blame other people. We take that ideal and we weaponize it. We begin to, we begin to beat people with this, with this ideal that we can never get to. The context of a future marriage or your marriage you're in, it's important to manage what God has placed in your life and arrive not at your desired future, but his future for you. That's so important. We get that backwards. As we proceed to talk about what could cost your marriage, I think it's important that we take a time out here and talk about what marriage is. Uh, this has been, uh, there's so many opinions on what marriage is today, so let's talk about what Jesus said what marriage was, all right? Jesus quoting the creation account in Matthew chapter 19 uh, four through six, he says this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate or no person. Notice here, God created two distinct sexes, male and female. His created order was for uh, male and female to be, uh, to be equal as in a reflection of God's image, but to complement each other. So in marriage, uh, people decide that they, they get married, they move out, they leave their, their, their parents, they become one, and this is consummated in marriage through uh, what, what God designed as sex. Tim Keller puts it this way, author Tim Keller and pastor in New York City. He says this, to sum up what Jesus just said, marriage is a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God divides marriage to reflect the saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community from birth and the nurture of our children, and accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. Now, what the Bible just said and what Tim Keller just summed up in this decade uh, could be considered controversial, crazy, or even just downright bigoted. We take God at his word, even when it's not popular, even when it's confusing. We take God at his word. And here's the really important thing. Male and female distinction is God's created order, and marriage is his idea. There are people that you would say, man, you don't know my background, you know where I'm at currently, and I'm gonna say, I, I might not, but I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to know this, this whole series isn't meant to be a series of judgment like, God's wrath be upon you. No, not like that at all. Uh, my... My heart is this, as I've been praying through this series, is that you feel liberated for God's will to flow through your life as you encounter his revelation of what his created order is all about. God's revelation liberates you to live as God has made you to live. Too often we're looking for liberation in ourselves, but we didn't create ourselves. We didn't create the distinctions of the concept of marriage, the concept of relationships. God did, and when we follow the revelation of God throughout our entire life, it liberates us to live as God has made us. Our foundation of our relationships and, our, and the seasons that we are in needs the foundation, the umbrella of God's gospel to permeate every area of our life. 
But for many marriages, they're not durable this morning. In fact, they may be fragile, never knowing when the next fight may erupt or the door may slam or the tires squeal on the road. Marriages are filled with unrealistic expectations, unresolved personal emotions, idealism that is rooted in cultural values and not biblical values. In fact, statistics show this. 50% of all marriages will end in divorce, with 41% of first-time marriages ending in divorce. And let's face it, some people that are still married today, they're more married to chaos and dysfunction than, than each other. And they need to, you can work on that if that's, that's where you're at today. In fact, there are 6,646 divorces every single day in this country. Isn't that crazy? 6,646. Marriages end when hope is lost. People fear the future when hope is lost. In fact, pastor of Bayside Church in California, Ray Johnson, he, he has a wonderful quote. He says this. Hope is the greatest antidote against toxic forces that are destroying families. Any marriage can be made closer, more stable, and last a lifetime if the hope of Jesus stays the center and everything is built and said on the hope-based foundation. Basically, to live a better future, you need to take care of your present. You see, here's the deal. There are two things that can tank your marriage this morning, two things that could cost your marriage. The first one is this, not having vision, not having a vision for a better future. If you don't have a vision for a better future, you're not gonna take care of your present because you've given up. Where there's no vision, there's no hope. And there's no hope, you don't believe things can improve and you become discouraged. And listen, discouraged people that are constantly discouraged become destructive people. You become destructive. You're just, you're just negative all over the place. When vision dies, you give up. And when you give up, relationships suffocate. Relationships suffocate. In our passage this morning, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. Uh, so if you're new to the Bible, just go to the table of contents. If also, the, the awesome thing is, a lot of my Bible reading I do is on my phone with the YouVersion Bible app. Go to the app store and download that. It's free. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. Paul, who is single, is writing to an early church. And this is what he said in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, Paul is speaking in ag talk, farmer talk, okay? Why? Because most of the people in this era, they worked in the farming industry. Uh, they, they grew crops, and, and so I grew up in Iowa, and most of the people that I, I gave sermons in rural Iowa uh, early in ministry, some people drove their tractors to church, okay? And so they're probably like hearing harvest and sowing seeds, like, yeah, I understand that, right? But I'd imagine that if God was still inspiring scripture today, which he's not, it ended at Revelation, uh, but if, if, God were to, if, if God was still using scripture today, uh, inspiring scripture today, I imagine that he would, especially today, be using football as an illustration. My point is this. Uh, is that God used, he spoke to people perfectly and he used analogies and language that we would understand. The Bible's not this, we don't need a secret decoder pen uh, to read the Bible. Uh, today we have to study it a bit more because some of the context of 2,000 years ago garners a need for our understanding to keep it in context. So they're using ag talk and we see here harvest and harvest is used often in scripture and harvest specifically is used often to talk about when people place their faith and trust in Jesus, when you reach people and they place their faith and trust in Jesus, that is called a spiritual harvest. So our main mission here as a church is to reach all of Kenosha. We wanna impact the world because Jesus saved us. We wanna be compassionate towards other people. That is a harvest. But what you also see in scripture is harvest 
also talks about sowing seeds and reaping a harvest can talk about all aspects of life. Not just being saved, but all aspects of life. What are you doing in life and what is resulting from that? So today, if you're planting anger in the soil, if you're planting seeds of distrust, uh, if, you're, if you're planting seeds where you're just not putting in time to your, to your marriage or you're putting in seeds where, where you're being led by lust or you're just, just all sorts of di- just different seeds, what are you planting? What is popping up? What is the result? You know, sometimes we sow seeds and we know that they're destructive and we wonder why a rose isn't popping up. You know, like, here's the deal. Like, you're, let's say you're an angry person. Let's say that you're a person that tells lies or gossip. You know, let's just say that you, you just let your mouth go in, in the home or with your friends or whomever, right? You're sowing those seeds, and you're wondering, like, why does no one want to hang up with me or hang, hang out with me? They're hanging up on you, yeah, but they're not hanging out with me. You, know, you think that you're, you know, you're sowing seeds, and it should be this rose, right? Like, well, I, I'm just a pretty rose. Like, I'm sowing such good seed, but the reality, you know, you're not a rose, right? It, what's coming out of your life is more like this weed. I went and picked this weed out just someone ran Randomly, right? But sometimes we think like, why is this coming up? I'll tell you why it's coming up is because we're sowing seed. We're sowing seed that's not going to look like this, right? We're sowing seed that's not a rose. We're sowing seed that's going to grow thorns and thistles. In fact, we see here right in scripture uh, that when we sow seeds of our own flesh, we will reap corruption. It matters what we sow. We will reap corruption. So here's the deal. Here's the awesome thing. Sometimes, sometimes people keep on sowing bad seed in their life. They keep on, they keep on planting seed. Like, why, why, why am I not getting a harvest? Why am I not getting a result? Why am I not getting to my desired future? And they just give up. They look to their past. How many of you are influenced by your past more than what could happen in the future? And here's the thing. You can't change your past. Man, how awesome would it be to actually have a DeLorean with a flux capacitor and go back in time? Man, that would be fun, but that's not reality. But that is how we live reality often. Our past is dictating our future. And so we, oh man, I just, I've sown all these bad seeds my whole life. This is who I am. I just got to keep doing it. That's why I'm doing it in the present. I'm hoping for a better future, but all I'm getting is this. Why am I getting this? It's because you're sowing the seeds that's getting that. But here's the deal. You can't change your past, but you can change what you're sowing in the present. You can change what you're sowing in the present. Think about it. If you're looking at the harvest, like, why am I getting this harvest? You want a changed harvest. You want a different harvest. Then start planting seeds that are different, and you can do that now. That's the amazing thing about the grace of Jesus. He came to this world while we were yet sinners so that we can have hope. The good news is you can change what you're sowing this morning. Verse eight, but the one who sows of the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Here's the deal. Sometimes we've been trying to sow the right stuff, right? We've been trying to put the right seed out. We want to have a good harvest, but we just seem to fall back into just our old habits. We fall back into our old self, or we fall back into things that we just do not want to do. And I want to tell you this right now. The only way that you can sow seeds that are going to reap an eternal harvest is if you let the Holy Spirit, listen, it says it right here in Scripture, the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You need the Holy Spirit to have access to every area of our life. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I need help in this area. My mouth gets me in trouble. Or Holy Spirit, there's things in my life, there's things in my heart that nobody knows, but I need you, you already know, I need you to have access now because I need to lay down the seed that is going to reap a harvest. Make no mistake, Paul is not, by the way, Paul is not saying that you can gain your salvation by putting down seeds, right? We put down good seeds because of what Jesus did for us. 
There's nothing we can do to get saved. There's nothing that we can do to be forgiven by God. And that's why God sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do. It's grace. And because of grace, we can be forgiven. But being forgiven doesn't mean you just do whatever you want to do and sow whatever seed you want to do. No, 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 no. Because of the compassion of Jesus, we have compassion on others. And the people we love most should feel that. They shouldn't get the least of us or the worst of us. To live a better future, you need to take care of your present. Verse nine, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's say that again. If we do not give up. But for many of us, we've given up. We've given up and we just like, I'm just gonna, this is just who I am. This is who I am. Paul says, do not grow weary of doing good. Doing good is translated literally beautiful. Do something beautiful. Here are two things that happen that when you begin to lay down beautiful seed. You see, we talk about, like, you know, so good seed, go, so good seed. Some of you, you're like, you're empirical people. Like, what is it? What are you talking about? What is good? This is what Paul talked about previously in chapter five. He said, the good thing is this, love. The fruit of the spirit is love. What is love? It means it's not just about you. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in truth, it protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Listen, love thinks the best of a situation. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, but the fruit of the Spirit is also joy. You know what happens when you don't think the best of a situation? You're not joyful. You have this frown, looking contempt at everybody right? You know, joy, in the church world, we, we, we know what joy should look like, right? We could give you a five-page paper on what joy should look like, and, and we sing songs of joy, and we can even put on the face of joy, but listen, so many people say, I'm joyful, and they have this tattooed frown on their face. Oh, I'm just joyful. I'm like, you are? I mean, I've seen this before. I'm like, so joyful in the Lord. I'm like, man, maybe I should check my joy. Maybe I'm, there's something wrong with me or something. I don't know. What is that, right? And, or, or you see people that say, I'm just so joyful, and the minute they're out the door, they are not joyful. Listen, here's the deal. Joy is the reality we live. It's not an action, per se, a momentary action. It is a way of life. It's realizing there is hope, and there is, there, there is love, and it's a realization that it's not all about me. It's a realization that we have been given everything and access to everything in Jesus. And it's something that can't be taken away, no matter your circumstances, so here's a test. Are you joyful enough? Well, what happens when you enter a room? Do people brace, like, oh, here they come, or do they embrace? Brace or embrace? Well, what is it? To live in the spirit, to sow spiritual seeds. You also have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you sow the right things, you can get to the right destination. But you have to be patient. Verse nine again, let us not grow Weary, do not give up. In the process of laying down right foundations of sowing the right seeds for our future, we can get distracted, discouraged, and even distraught if we, what we're hoping for is not happening. Now, let's just take this, let's make this practical here. Let's say you really like apples. So you eat an apple from Woodman's, right? But Woodman's is so far away from any of your homes, right? And I just don't want to drive to Woodman's. And so you take the seed out of the apple and you put it in your backyard and you put it in the soil. And you plant it. You're like, great, I can have an organic delivery of apples every day. I don't have to go shopping. And then you wait. 
For some people, they think the tree's gonna come up in the afternoon, don't they? For some people, they're like, oh, it's not the afternoon, the next day. For some of you, you're like, oh, it, it, I planted it, the change is gonna happen in a month. No, 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 no. How long would it take to have a fruit-bearing tree? I'm not an expert, but I know it's in the years. And listen, follow me here. Some of us are planting seed, and we're trying to plant good seed. We're like, why isn't my relationships or situations in my marriages, why aren't they working? I put the seed in the ground. Why? Why? Because it takes time. Don't grow tired of doing good. For in due time, you will reap a harvest. Do not grow weary. And here's another thing. When you plant a seed, you just put it in the ground and say, oh, that was cool, right? No, you have to water it. You have to water it so it'll grow and grow healthy. You have to tend to it. Man, there are, there are marriages, perhaps even in this room this morning, and you just feel wilted. You just feel tired. You just need a little watered, right? But all we're doing is we're reminding each other what our marriage, what our relationship could be like. And we're bashing each other with the ideals that are just seemingly out of reach. Great change doesn't happen overnight. It requires time. It requires patience. So here's a very specific question I have for you. If you're married or hope to be someday, what is one thing you hope for? What is one thing you hope for? What is it? And as you're answering this question, some of you might be thinking, hmm. some of you are thinking, hmm, because you've given up on hope. But some of you are like, I know what it is. But then you begin to think of the things of why you can't ever get to it. For some of you, it's like, oh, I'm just worried about my kids, or oh, I'm just, will I ever get married, or oh, I, just, oh, I just want the love and passion return to my marriage, or oh, I just want to be financially free, or oh, I just want to break the cycle of luster. Ah, oh, I'm feeling the blank, right? And these things cloud to resolve, to have a better vision for a better future, and to trust God in your future. You see, here's a little of equation. The gap between what you expect and what you experience equals disappointment. The gap between what you expect, like this is what I want, and then what you actually experience or what you're experiencing is the disappointment. And too many people are living by this equation. They're not living by the equation of grace and hope and realizing that change or desired change starts with little obediences every day. Now, some of you are like, well, Andy, I've tried, or I've been given everything in my relationship, and it's just, I'm getting burned every time. And listen, I understand some of us are in situations where you cannot control your spouse and what they're thinking or if they're, you know, maybe they're just, they're just completely disconnected. And it's a good thing you're not controlling because I'd probably end up in counseling too. But, but the thing is that you are responsible for your actions and you're responsible to help lead and encourage each other. And know this, if somebody is like completely uh, like this, like you can do what God has called you to do in that relationship. And you have to pray to God for the results. And I know some of you, you're like, you're on the verge of divorce, you're on the verge of, you have, or you have been divorced, or you've lost somebody. I want you to know this. If today you're sitting alone, no situation can take away that you're a son and daughter of the king. Nothing can take away your identity in Jesus, nothing. Another thing, if you're a parent, nothing can take away that you're a father or a mother you got to remember, sometimes you stake your whole identity. Is this going to work or is this not? And listen, do all you can. Do what it takes to make it work. But I want you to know that if a person's like, not going to do it, not going to do it, you don't die with their no. We have a choice to make today. The choice is, am I going to start planting something different? 
Am I going to start sowing different seed? Am I not going to grow weary, but am I going to press on? It means if you're single, trusting God of laying the foundations that will result in healthy relationships later. For marriage, that means allowing God to lead in every aspect. Verse 10, so as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. To live a better future, you need to take care of your present. Second thing this morning that will tank or cost you your marriage is not having boundaries. It's not having boundaries. 1 Timothy 6.20 says this. So Timothy, everyone say this, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. I love this because when you talk about boundaries or how marriages should work, uh, you can go to Woodman's and find a magazine saying 60 different ways of making your marriage more passionate, or you can go online and hear people's different opinions. You can hear a TED Talk. Uh, you, you could go anywhere and find different ideas of what marriage is all about, and it's all contradictory. And what the Bible says here, it's foolish if it's not based in Scripture. It's foolish. And so I want to give you five things that statistically, is used as a reason why there was a divorce. Number one is financial stress. Finances, not being on the same page financially. Jesus talked often about money. And the reason why he talked about money often was to warn us that we are all gonna have the propensity to fall in love with it and to let it rule our lives. And you can see this, and we all have had temptations perhaps of saying, okay, I'm gonna do this or if I just climb one more rung and not spend time, you know, just, just neglect my family or, or, or just, or, you know, just just become more successful, then, then I'm there. Why? Because I'll make more money, right? Nothing wrong with making more money, but when that rules you, it could become God, right? Money, we can neglect God, our family, our kids. That's why Jesus, I believe, I believe the Bible actually instituted the tithe and Jesus reaffirmed it, uh, giving our first 10% uh, back to God because it reminds us who, what are everything and who owns it. God does, in fact, I remember hearing a story once of, a, of an individual who was becoming very, very, uh, uh, they're climbing the ladder in their job, they're doing an awesome job in their job, but they were spending a lot of time away from their family, a lot of time. And they're in this Vegas hotel celebrating some different wins they had at their job, and he realized his mentors that were surrounding him, were most were on their fourth or fifth marriages, and they're all currently in affairs. And he realized, there's something wrong here. I'm losing my family, my mentors are leading me where I think I don't wanna go. And so financial stress. Second thing is origins, how we were brought up. Every couple in premarital counseling and, uh, and, and, and marriage, you need to talk about your family origins. Uh, I still put the bowls in the sink on the right. Allison grew up and put the bowls in the sink on the left. The whole thing is, is that we have origins from something so little to that to something so major. We all carry baggage from our past. And for some of us this morning, we need to understand that when you enter into marriage, the Bible says that you're to leave and cleave. You leave your parents and cleave to your spouse. That means join to your spouse. This is what this means. It means that for some of us, we need to cut the umbilical cord. It means for some of us, for none of us, it means that we shouldn't love our parents, right? We should love our parents. We should respect our parents. Spend some time with your parents. You figure out how much time you want to spend with them. But for all of us, it's my opinion. I didn't read this in scripture. I'm going to tell you it's my opinion, if I, can, if I can do say so myself. Some of us need to ask the keys back from our parents so they don't always come to our house unexpected, right? Some of us need to realize that, that when you are one, that's the priority, Right? Some of you are laughing. <laughs> I'll just leave that at where it's at. <laughs> I think we can all laugh because we can all know that the in-laws is an easy joke because we all have to navigate that. It's, it's something we all have to navigate. Basically, bottom line is this on family and your origins. 
You don't have to ask your parents if you're married. You don't have to ask your parents if you, have to, if you can get up from the table, all right, when you're done eating, all right? So talk that through. You need to talk that through, all right? Set boundaries with uh, your family past. Number three is spiritual issues. If you're not on the same page spiritually, uh, there's gonna be problems. You need to be all in. If, if you're dating, you're single right now or uh, not married yet, listen, here's the deal. It's so vitally important that you date somebody and marry somebody. By the way, when you're dating, you should have, we'll talk more about this next week, but you should have uh, the intent of seeing a future with this person. If you're not, you're just playing with fire, okay? And so does this person love Jesus? And you're like, well, marriage will make it better. Remember what I said, marriage is a magnifier and a megaphone to all our problems, right? So here's the thing, is that make sure you're laying the right foundations uh, with spiritual issues. In fact, secular culture is... Very secular data, actually. University of Minnesota uh, shows that upwards to 80% higher risk of divorce if you're not on the same page uh, spiritually. Now, if you're in a relationship right now, a marriage relationship, and you're not on the same page, that the Bible says explicitly, do not leave each other. Uh, and, and, that, and also, don't start beating over the head with, you know, with Bible verses or whatever. Like, show the love of Christ. And in that, the Bible says you can sanctify them. You can break down walls, all right? Fourth thing, it's the PG-13 one, all right? Sex, all right? That is one of the reasons uh, why people will divorce. Uh, this is a sermon in itself. Uh, it, it, here's the deal. Sex is not bad. God made it. He made it for marriage. The thing is, though, statistics are showing more people are having sex before marriage than waiting. Does that mean that we just dive in and say, well, that's the cultural norm? No, in fact, because people are active before marriage, they're coming into marriage and having what's by definition a sexless marriage, which is 10 times or less a year. Because it's just like, eh, whatever. And what's happening is opening the door for pornography. It's opening the door for finding other people and other relationships. And it's, it's sinful, it's destructive, and it's backwards to God's order. So if you're finding yourself in that area today, listen, here's the awesome thing. You could start laying down the right seed, right? The right foundations for a better tomorrow, right? But here's the deal. This is something that is, uh, the culture will not back you up on. You have to go to God's word. It takes more than sex to build a strong marriage, but it's nearly impossible to build a strong marriage without it. It's God designed for in marriage. Number five, last one we'll give today on boundaries, is when you have kids, having a baby. It was a game changer when we, when we had Elias. It was just because we had a kid, right? But it was awesome. It was cool. No, I didn't think anything of it. Allison didn't think anything of it. It was just different, right? Uh, Etta, same thing. But for us, it might be different for all of you. I don't know. But for us, number three was a, was a big game changer, all right? Like Allison gets mad when I say it's a big game changer. It's like, if it's a big game changer for you, Andy, it's a mega game changer for me, all right? And so we had two kids in diapers, and it just, at this point in life, you're really challenged. What are gonna be our priorities? What is gonna be our focus? And here's the deal. It's the flow chart should be this. God, your spouse, and your kids. But what happens when life gets busy, gets hectic, it's a game changer, is you can flip that. You can go God, kids, spouse, or you can go kids, God spouse or kid spouse God, right? Things get all mixed up. And we need, to re, we need to reorient our flow chart, our org chart of our family life. Kids are important, but your kids will not have the proper love of the parents if they don't love each other. In fact, some of us need to go on a date, right? If you're married, you need to go on a date this week. If you're like, well, I don't know, last time I went on a date, that means you need to go on a date. And here's the deal. Like, I, I thought I was going on dates every week, and then Allison dropped a bombshell on me. I was like, Allison, I just love it how we go on dates every week. And she's like, Andy, we don't go on dates every week. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yes, we do. She goes, Andy, the kids? I get the thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we focus on, like, when the kids are crying or trying to figure out what they're doing. I'm like, oh. She goes, I just want to be on a date just with you. And so we did that, and it was awesome. 
I think every single one of you, no matter what your age is, you go on a date, never stop dating your spouse. So it's, deci- it's decision time. Wherever we're at, whatever season we're at, it's decision time. We need to choose this day what foundation we're gonna build and what we're gonna do about it. Number one is we need to submit to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our life. We know an area that we're not putting down the right foundations, the right seed for a harvest later. So ask the Holy Spirit to come into that area into your life today. Ask him, just tell him you need help. That's the first step. I'm surrendering to you. You know, oftentimes during our our take-home part of the sermon, I tell you things to do. I'm gonna tell you things not to do. There's a stop doing list this week. There's five things. Number one is stop insisting on impossible expectations. Stop looking for greener pastures. Stop blaming and start solving problems. Blaming doesn't solve things. Solving problems solves things, all right? Stop focusing on yourself. Stop giving up. But none of this stuff is gonna happen. Even even having the Holy Spirit take control of areas you're, you're not giving him control, it doesn't happen unless you start praying. Prayer allows God to turn your mess into a miracle. And prayer reminds you that when you don't understand what God is doing, you can still trust him and there's still hope. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.